Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 120, recorded on June 2nd, 2021. The Cloud Pod crosses the data streams. Good evening, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Hello. Hi there. What's up? We left our listeners with the riveting tale of you camping underneath your bike in the middle of the desert, and we were we were questioning if you'd make it back or not, but you have, so we appreciate that. I have survived yet another uh, journey to the middle of nowhere. It tried its best, but I prevailed. Which you came back to an awesome work a week, uh, work work week, so I'm sure you wished it had prevailed. <laughs> yes, uh, kind of do. Yeah, I, I definitely wish I was at least still back out there. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, we have an action-packed show. Uh, apparently, there was an ML conference this week because there's a ton of ML stories. So for all of, the, all of our listeners, including the hosts who don't like ML that much or don't understand it, it's going to be a long episode. So buckle up. <laughs> uh, but we'll try to get through it as best we can, uh, as quickly as we can. So uh, we will try to cover everything. I think we can make ML exciting. Ooh. I think we can do it. You think so? All right. Now it's a challenge. No, no. Even even when they do videos, like uh, it's never exciting. <laughs> it's like here, let me show you a game that beat itself with uh, UML. And you're like, it's not that interesting. Anyways, general news <laughs> up first. Uh, so Amazon has a had a big jump in diversity among their senior leadership. Uh, they did that by uh, you know doing a couple things here. So first of all, in 2016, when they last were surveyed on this, they had uh, they didn't employ a single black Native American or multiracial executive, and just one Hispanic and/or Latino executive among its 105 senior leadership in the U.S. And a year later, it's now a different picture with 22 black executives, 51 Hispanic and Latino executives, and 21 multiracial executives, and 380 female executives out of 1,767 executives. And you might say to yourself, did they really hire over 1,600 executives in a year? Nope, they just changed the definition. <laughs> so, which is one way to do it. Uh, so they uh, have now basically said that any director and VP level and up is part of the executive team. And previously, they called them mid-level managers. They got a lot of flack for this on Twitter because <laughs> it's just kind of egregious. Uh, but they do they did line this up with EEOC job classifications to bring it to parity. Uh, but you know, like this one way to do it: just lower that bar down. We tried to do it here for the Cloud Pod, uh, but unfortunately, we're all white males, so yeah. lowering the bar just doesn't make it any better. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. <sighs> You know, like I, I, I applaud them for at least bringing visibility into this, but it is sort of disheartening to see how they sort of had a lie with numbers in 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 evidence. And I don't like it. Um, I hope that you know every one of those mid level managers, when they got promoted to an executive status, got a pay raise. But I suspect that that's not true either. Well, I think that what they absolutely can do and should do is change their title on LinkedIn to be Amazon executive. Now, yeah, because they are. That's true. They're officially classified. Yeah, you could definitely do that. Help you with your future job things, which is we all know is the right way to get to uh, come back as CEO is to quit and go be CEO somewhere else first. Which leads us into our next stories. <laughs> so uh, we're a little, apparently a little bit over a month away from Andy Jassy receiving the CEO baton from Jeff Bezos, uh, which has now officially been scheduled for July fifth after the 4th of July weekend. Uh, apparently, Jassy has been preparing for months for the transition for the reporting uh, from the information where I got this article from. Uh, and Jassy has begun pitching in efforts that normally Bezos would have taken advantage of, as well as Jassy has been actively recruiting his uh, successor, Adam Slipsky, as well as Jeff Blackburn, who just came back to the organization uh, to help fill his shoes, both in entertainment and media, as well as in the AWS space. 
Uh, while Jassy and Bezos have worked together for years, the speculation is that uh, you know Jassy can be just as ruthless as Bezos. Uh, but so you shouldn't change. Shouldn't expect any changes to how they treat competitors. But uh, they do believe he may have a softer approach in areas like third-party merchant management, uh, how it handles public relations and its public policies. Uh, and this is the biggest transition since Steve Jobs stepped down from Apple, uh, transitioned Tim Cook, Gates to Balmer, or any of the other major uh, transitions of power that have happened. And you know we're kind of entering the era where there's going to be a lot of these. Uh, in the next probably ten years, where you know long-standing CEOs are going to be reaching retirement age and want to go do other things, and so you'll see these transitions happen uh, more and more frequently, I think, in a little, in a little bit here. Um, but it's kind of interesting. Uh, Jassy's been also very heavily involved in big, massive sales opportunities, including a billion-dollar opportunity with Boeing. Uh, which, if that happens, we can call that Jedi Junior, because. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they have the Boeing Star Wars project, which uh, fits right into our Jedi theme. So we could, you know, keep an eye on that. That's apparently a competition between uh, Google, Azure, and AWS. Uh, if my money was on anything, I'd say it's going to go to Azure, but just me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, just knowing how well, knowing how well Boeing and and uh, Microsoft are in bed with each other, as well as there's been previous uh, Azure deals that Boeing has wa- uh, given to them. I think that's probably where it's going to go. But you never know. Uh, and then, as well as you know, they just announced the acquisition of MGM for eight point five billion dollars, which of course that had to also be blessed by Jassy, I assume, um, as he'll be now managing the entire integration of the MGM uh, company into the Amazon ecosystem. So, lots of changes, lots of things happening. Uh, things are going to get interesting starting July fifth at Amazon. The other thing they didn't mention that I'm most interested in is whether or not uh, AWS will be prioritized differently at the Amazon level now that Andy Jassy's running the show. So that's going to be fun to watch, see if there's any any changes there. It's interesting. I mean, I it sort of has to be, right? It'll be something that's close to his heart, So, and he'll have a lot of insight for a very long time on how it's running and working. So it feels like it would be, even if it's very unofficial. But I also feel like they'll downplay that messaging to not, you know, alienate all the other business units in Amazon. Yeah, I mean, I think if he was overly preferential to one business unit, I think people would question that as a leadership choice. But um, you know, there's still a lot of money being made on the store. There's still a ton of money being made in uh, you know the Alexa space and on all of the things with those uh, echoes. So I think there's lots of opportunities for them to grow revenue and to grow different things. And I think if he's just focusing on one, I think that's the easy path. And I think that's not really what they brought him in to do. So we'll see. Well, uh, we don't typically have a news cutoff at Tuesdays. Uh, Tuesday afternoon, I typically cut off the stories for the week and we we move forward and we record on Wednesday. Uh, but this morning, this news was earth-shattering to the cloud world <laughs> in many ways. And so uh, this is that Utah-based technology workforce development company Pluralsight has announced intends to acquire Austin-based A-Cloud Guru, the leading cloud skills development platform. Uh, Pluralsight was apparently recently acquired by Vista Equity, uh, which is one of the prominent PE firms in the world. And so apparently you know, Pluralsight is basically the new hub company for online learning, and this may be the beginning of many, many acquisitions to come uh, from Vista Equity and Pluralsight as they consolidate in this market. Uh, you know, combining the A-Cloud Guru certification courses, hands-on labs, and sandboxes with the Pluralsight Skills Cloud courses and hands-on learning experiences, the joint organization will be a better position to meet the market demand for cloud skills. And I have a couple quotes here, one from Aaron Sconard, the co-founder and CEO of Pluralsight. Technology is the number one differentiator for all businesses, and the technology skills of your team is what determines success or failure. Nowhere is that more apparent than with cloud technologies. To meet the needs of our customers and best support their cloud transformations, we are determined to deliver the most comprehensive solution for driving cloud maturity at scale. With the acquisition of A-Cloud Guru, we can now provide an all-in-one solution to accelerate the cloud skills development journey for large enterprise customers and individual learners. Never been a, a Pluralsight customer, so I'm not that familiar with their size and scale. Are they 
huge compared to A Cloud Guru. You know, I don't know how big they are from a revenue perspective. It's never been a company I've really followed, but they, um, you know, they definitely have more general technology courses like Python and you know Java, and I want to learn those type of skills. They're really really light on cloud skills in particular, and so this is a good combination from that perspective. Um, you know, I have actually, <laughs> you know, one of the things that happens quite often in these kind of companies is you buy one license and then you share it with other people. Uh, and so right. I can tell you, I can tell you that Pluralsight uh, will audit you for that, <laughs> and they'll say, "Look, you, uh, you know, you have this account that's used, uh, you know, over, you know, twenty thousand hours of online learning this year. Uh, there's no possible way that's one person. <laughs> they will audit you on that. So be careful. Uh, but uh, you know, it's yeah, you know, they're a good company. But uh, you know, I have had some experiences with them in the past uh, on that kind of stuff. I feel like we watched A Cloud Guru grow up, and uh, in front of our eyes, the last ten years or or whatever during while the cloud grew up. So it's super fun to see that company be successful. I'm sure it was a successful exit since they were so, uh, uh, since they seem to be doing all the right things, growing, et cetera. So that's super fun actually to see this happen. Yeah, the big thing, yeah. the big question for me is, are they going to combine the platforms? Because, you know, Aqua Guru bought Linux Academy uh, a couple of years ago, and they've just sort of integrated those libraries in the last, you know, six months or so. Um, you know, is, is this going to end up being the A-Cloud Guru gets replatformed into Pluralsight? Are they going to be left as kind of their own standalone? I think that's still TV determined. Um, but, you know, I, I imagine they're going to want to sell both in, at a higher price because they started selling, you know, A-Cloud Guru at a much higher price. Uh, with Linux Academy when they started combining those things. And actually, I, it was funny, uh, two weeks ago, I just signed up for another year of A Cloud Guru because they offered me $100 off. And I was like, that's a great deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I jumped on that bandwagon. But uh, you know, you now realize like, maybe that was uh, in a, to juice some sales for the acquisition before that uh, <laughs> closed. <laughs> so, But yeah, we'll see, uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I, I have a lot of friends. And you know, we've had Forrest on. Uh, you know, I've known some other people there. Yeah, so they all seem excited and, and eager to um, this new chapter. So hopefully for the best. Yeah, in general, it's you know it's doubling the content or increasing the content of both platforms. So hopefully, you know, integration is tough, but it's excellent. I love it. Let's move on to uh, new features from Amazon this week. Uh, AWS was busy as usual. Uh, first up is Amazon Redshift ML, which was announced at reInvent, uh, is now generally available. And this allows you to use SQL to uh, create machine learning models and make predictions from your data. Because uh, you know all no-code ML solutions are all better with a SQL interface. Uh, Redshift ML helps you create, train, and deploy ML models directly with your Redshift cluster. And several new features were not included in the preview, which are now available in the general release, which allow you to import a SageMaker model into your Redshift cluster for local inference, or you can also create SQL functions that use existing SageMaker endpoints to make predictions through remote inference. Uh, and if you're confused about all of the different ML products, uh, you can check out the handy table in the blog post to help you identify which of the Aurora, Redshift, or other ML products is the right one for you and your system, which I thought was pretty handy. So do check that out if you're confused, because they did announce a lot of blank ML products <laughs> at reInvent this year, and not a lot of clarity on what they mean. Uh, so that table is quite helpful. Yeah, I agree. I learned a ton just reading that. Um, it's fantastic. And you know, the the other thing too is this shows you know how Amazon's meeting their customers. And while I agree it is a bit of a no code solution, but when I first looked over this, you know, the ability to to create you know a model directly next to the data. It's a lot cooler than the you know sort of chaining together of services that you had to do before, and that's generally what we want. So I like these kinds of solutions. I do as well. Well, the next one I am super excited for. I know Ryan's excited for. <laughs> I think Sorry. Jonathan may even be excited for. I don't know about Peter. Peter probably. Eh, no, you're a Kubernetes guy. You're not excited. ECS anywhere. <laughs> 
All right, good. ECS Anywhere is now generally available and ready to help you run your containers on-premises or in the cloud or both or even in other clouds. With ECS Anywhere, you run managed container-based apps on-premise and VMs, bare metal, and customer-managed infrastructure. And to get started with ECS Anywhere, you follow three simple steps. Spin up your new server, uh, which you must install the AWS Systems Manager agent on, the Amazon ECS Container Agent, and Docker, and then you can register them into your ECS cluster. Uh, The cluster has to be set up as a special-purpose one called the networking-only type cluster. And to register your servers, you have to issue a key that is valid for up to 1,000 activations. So do work on your automation there, because if you are doing a lot of these, you may run to some challenges there, but that's pretty standard for SSM is to have that 1,000 limit key. Uh, then you can run your containers, just like a task service, anything else you typically do in ECS, just like you know and love, uh, and that could all run on-premise, or you can also run those things on the cloud with Fargate or manage EC2. Uh, something for you to think about in this, though, if your ECS host loses connectivity to Amazon, of course, it will keep running your containers. But if that container crashes or needs to be recovered or needs to scale up, you are hosed. Sorry. Uh, you can still leverage Amazon CloudWatch for all your metrics and logs. Uh, and the networking is optimized for running apps to generate outbound traffic or data or process data. Uh, if your app requires inbound traffic, uh, such as a web service, you will need to employ a workaround to place these workloads behind a load balancer until it is supported natively. So they did not give us an ELB option for this quite yet. Um, although there are ways to do it, I just imagine it's not been orchestrated yet. So you can you can definitely get this to work with either Nginx proxy or with uh, using even the ALB type operations from Amazon. You just have to kind of do a little, some extra heavy lifting there, so keep that in mind. Uh, to maintain data security in ECS anywhere, it only sends back AWS region metadata related to the state of the tasks or the state of the containers, uh, like they're, if they're running or not, performance counters, et cetera, and the communication is all TLS and authenticated. Uh, several partners are natively supporting ECS anywhere on launch, including Aqua, Datadog, HashiCorp, Kong, Pulumi, Sysdig, and many more. Uh, and of course, the million dollar question how much does it cost? Because we know how uh, RDS on prem works, and it's expensive. <laughs> Uh, so you pay per instance hour for each managed instance. ECS Anywhere includes a free tier, which includes up to 2,200 instance hours per month for six months in all regions. And basic, basically, the pricing breaks down to a penny per hour for each managed ECS Anywhere instance, which makes that to about $7.38 a month. Which, if you think about how much expensive your Kubernetes people are, you know, I, if you had a $100,000 Kubernetes administrator, you can run over 1,000 ECS nodes uh, and basically get that for free versus paying for that person. So just, just keep that in mind if you're on the Kubernetes train and saying this is complex and I'm tired of hiring really expensive uh, DevOps engineers, you could just run ECS. I wonder if someone's going to build a local stack implementation of this so that you can actually use ECS agents on-prem with local stack and not pay them a cent. Interesting. Yeah, Or just for testing, yeah. too. You know, testing out your scaling and that kind of thing. It is yeah, pretty fascinating. I mean, it would be, I think, local stack implementation of the state machine and the scheduler would be very complex. So I'm, I'm not going to hold my breath on that implementation, but uh, it'd be pretty sweet. But how cool. I mean, I've been waiting for this since we heard about the uh, the like the like pre-release on the NDA last year. And I'll be just going to promise for a little sooner than this, but... <laughs> yeah, development's hard. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I've, been, I've only been asking for this for three and a half years, every reInvent for, hey, when can we run it on-prem? When can I, run? I don't want to run Kubernetes on-prem. I want to run ECS. And yeah, there's no answer. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, uh, it was interesting. There was no mention of EKS anywhere in this press release, so I assume EKS anywhere is still coming. But they're maybe finding that to be a little bit more complicated, or they feel like they need to be probably at Anthos level uh, parity before they ship EKS. So we'll see when that comes out. Well, as an ECS fan, they boy. can't figure out how to charge that much. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do we charge them ten thousand dollars a month minimum? Like, yeah. that's, how do we yeah. do that? Yeah. <laughs> 
as a an ECS fanboy, I've noticed the trend of you know these these features coming to ECS before they come to EKS, and I'm hoping that that's you know due to its simplicity, or but it also shows you know Amazon's not necessarily a prioritization, but definitely still like how important they find ECS in light of the amount of Kubernetes that's in the ecosystem. So that's great. Yeah, confidence. And I think it's super beneficial for opening up the migration paths to transform, then migrate instead of migrate, then transform in that you can get the stuff running on ECS, be comfortable with it uh, on-prem and then migrate or expand into AWS when you're ready. Mm-hmm. And depending on the, you know, the gotchas with the, you know, the scheduling service, as far as the deployments, you know, it would make my, a migration trivial and very seamless. Yep. That's great. I'm a bit disappointed they haven't solved the networking thing a little bit more than they have right now, though. I mean, I, I would like to have seen some kind of tunnel back to a VPC or a way of attaching, creating an ENI in a VPC and attaching that to a running service or something. It's saying that it's designed for outbound traffic is like, yeah, but but really how many use cases are just outbound traffic, right? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot, but yeah, I, I hear you. I, and, you know, I just think it speaks to the complexity or and just the ownership, right? They don't want to own your private network. They would be taking that responsibility on. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the other thing is if you've already got a private data center presence running applications, then you already have ingress sorted out through your own internet connection. You can, you can, there's, there's nothing stopping you running that type of service. It's just not, that data is just not flowing from the VPC. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. I have plans already to, to get, you know, for this year, one of, my, one of my goals will be to move a bunch of data center workloads to this, at least to, to cool. convince the rest of the business that, that, that should be this, the, the path, you know, our future migration path for services. So containerize on-prem, move to cloud. Yep. Uh, sorted. Yep. Fail over to yep. cloud. How, how yeah, could exactly. it be? And never yeah. fail back. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's a one-way failure. Well, uh, apparently the best way to get timely insights and react quickly to new information you receive from your business and your applications is to analyze the streaming data. And this data must be processed sequentially and incrementally on a record-by-record basis over sliding time windows and can be used for a variety of analytics, including correlations, aggregations, filtering, and sampling. And to make this process easier, Amazon is giving you Amazon Kinesis Data Analytics Studio, which, by the way, they're really into the studio thing right now. How many studios have they released in the last like two months? It seems like <laughs> multiple. Uh, and then they bought from- MGM. <laughs> they actually bought a real studio, yeah. Wow, okay. Huh. <laughs> so weird. Now from the Kinesis console, you can select a Kinesis data stream and with a single click start a Kinesis data and analytics studio notebook powered by Apache Zeppelin and Apache Flink to interactively analyze data in the stream. You can also select a cluster in your managed streaming for Apache Kafka or MSK to start a notebook to analyze data in your Apache Kafka streams. And you can also connect to custom resources, although they did not detail how to do that in the blog post. Uh, in your notebook, you can then interact with the streaming data and get results in seconds using SQL queries and Python or Scala programs. If you're happy with the results, you can with a few clicks, you can then promote your code to production stream processing application that run at scale with no additional dev efforts. Uh, for new projects, they do recommend using the new Kinesis Data Analytics Studio over the Kinesis Data Analytics for SQL apps, which is the way you used to do this. <laughs> and you do pay for the Kinesis Data Analytics Studio by, lever- by average number of Kinesis processing units or KPUs per hour, including those used by your running notebooks. One KPU compromises basically one vCPU of compute and four gigs of memory and associated networking as well as storage for running, your running or durable storage for long-running processes. So they they spell out a pretty good use case for how to use this, but I, I completely see it a different way. I think this is, they're tired of the support cases of people asking, what is in my Kinesis queue and can you get rid of it, please? Yeah, that's what I was so, thinking okay. when I read it too. I was like, what? <laughs> I want to know what's in Kinesis and I don't want to write code before and after. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something is messing up my application. I don't know what it is. Just fix it. And so, yeah, this is, you know, that I, that I immediately see, you know, I guess like operations background, that use case where I could immediately use this to analyze what's in the queue currently. And then I don't know what action to take from there, but, you know, pretty nice. Yeah. Also, that one layer up from infrastructure, one more layer up from infrastructure, a little more abstract, a little more proprietary, a little more differentiated, I think always helps. Well, if this visibility bothers you, though, in your Kinesis queue, um, I do have a new opportunity for you to then move it to SQS, where you can then get blinded again and have no idea what's in your queue. Uh, and now they can actually perform with the announcement of the GA for high-throughput FIFO queues, allowing you to process up to 3,000 messages per second per API action, a tenfold increase compared to the current SQS FIFO output throughput. So, again, if you didn't like the pre or the, you know being able to see what's in your Kinesis queue, you can go back to being blind and ignorant. It's optional. Yeah, I mean, the, the previous FIFO limitation on SQS is, was extremely limiting. And so, uh, you know, when, and I get it, it's a lot more management and overhead. But, you know, there are some workloads that you really do want to guarantee that order and or at least make it somewhat predictable. So this is nice for that. I mean, it's easy if you have if you have one producer and one consumer, then then FIFO is not too difficult. But when you've got potentially dozens of people putting messages on the queue, but you still want an ordered output by time, then yeah, it's that's that requires compute, requires requires effort. It does require effort. Well, Amazon Location Services is now also generally available. Again, another reInvent announcement in preview uh, allowed you to build web and mobile apps with location-based features. And now it's generally available with two new features backed by the trusted location partners like ESRI and Here. Where? Oh, uh, yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> Amazon Location. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> was launched with several features, including maps to visualize information, places to enable your app to offer point-of-interest search functionality, geocoding, and reverse geocoding, routing for driving distance directions and ETAs, trackers that allow you to retrieve the current historical current and historical location of the devices running your tracking app, and geofencing. And now GA features are giving you additional satellite imagery to satellite imaging to pack your graphs, uh, your maps with information and provide more context, as well as routing enhancements that now support waypoints, departure time, and travel modes. Uh, travel modes being like, hey, I have a large, large semi-truck that can't go underneath bridges under eight feet. Uh, and so it then tells you not to go to those places that have that problem. So you don't have to run your truck underneath a bridge to get it stuck. Apparently that happens a lot with Amazon warehouses, and so they needed this feature. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I could see why that might be an Amazon-specific concern, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> see why they might want that for their freight trucks. I get it. I mean, I, I, just having a Google Maps competitor uh, I think is massively important because I, mm-hmm. I, you know, they were really taking away a lot of you know, choice in the Google Maps space and, and jacking up the prices quite a bit. So, yeah, I don't know about the quality of the here or the ESRI maps or ESRI, I guess, uh, but hopefully they're good. Well, I mean, here maps were used forever. They used to be the status quo, which is why I make fun of their name because it's the worst name ever for a company. But. I mean, it used to be Nokia here. So, you know, which, you know, with a Nokia, you're like, is that, are you hearing me with like audio hearing or are you talking about <laughs> here? I'm like, I am here. So, we need their maps, not just here maps. <laughs> I don't know where I am. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I am here. What about that? Clearly, everybody wishes this topic were in the lightning round. Yes, this everyone's yeah. got a joke. Clearly, clearly so. Yeah, but eQuest is so expensive with AWS, though. Having any kind of mapping solution from AWS is is going to be expensive. Like downloading chunks of data for wherever you are or wherever you want to look at. That's that's not going to come cheaply. It's mm, a good point. It's a very good point. It's still got to be cheaper than those API calls, though, from Google. <laughs> those aren't cheap. Yeah. 
I'm sure. Hopefully it's competitive. Hopefully they took that. I, I assume it has to be competitive, right? Otherwise, why would you build a product that isn't competitive? And you're also building on top of here, right? Because you could go directly to Nokia here or here or whatever, and you go buy those maps directly from them. So the fact that you know Amazon's wrapping a service around it that has to be competitive in the market, it can't be that expensive. That's interesting. Because I could just go to here and say, I want to buy your maps. <laughs> why yep. do I have to use Amazon service? So. Well, it's the routing and other information that sure, but I mean, like here right? sells yeah. all that stuff too. I think. I mean, there's other mapping companies that sell that stuff. So mm. there's also always Bing Maps. <laughs> yeah. Bing, yes, there is. <laughs> and Apple Maps. You also have Apple Maps. Those are always good too. Sometimes I wish this podcast was on video, just so you can see my face right now. But mm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on to our friends at Google Cloud. Uh, first up is the new cloud TPU VMs are now available, which make it easier than ever before to use TPU hardware, direct, providing direct access to TPU machines, offering a new and improved user experience to develop and deploy TensorFlow, PyTorch, and JAX on cloud TPUs. Cloud TPU VMs are now generally available via preview in US Central 1 and Europe West 4 region, and you can use single cloud TPU devices as well as cloud TPU pod slides and choose between TPU V2 or TPU V3 accelerated hardware. The cloud TPU are available to as little as 135 an hour for preemptible or 450 an hour for on demand if you don't want it to be ripped out from underneath you. And the new V3 is $2.40 preemptible or $8 an hour for on demand pricing. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Faster, cheaper. <laughs> awesome. I'm, I'm yeah. trying to figure out is this, is it, a, a, is it like a pre built image that runs on the VMs that you just kind of plug your code into and it's like a, a bit of a framework around? Running these models and train and training things, or like what what what's the what's the actual value add of calling it a a new TPU VM exactly? So they do have this new uh, lib TPU uh, library, which you know supports TensorFlow and PyTorch and Jax, and so you can write your own integrations directly to the VM. Uh, and so there's there's a lot more detail in the article that I did not bore you all with because it put me to sleep literally <laughs> uh, when I was uh, reading that, writing this up. Uh, so there are capabilities where you want direct access to the TPU without going through the abstraction layer, and so that's what this is getting you at the end of the day. Yep. Uh, you can now analyze your logs easier with log field ana analytics. Uh, developers and SRE folks have a lot of data to sort through when troubleshooting apps and systems to get to a root cause of an issue, as well as you know fighting off angry executives who just want it fixed. And often there are fields like error response codes that are critical for finding answers and resolving those issues. And so Google is releasing the log field analytics in cloud logging, a new way to search, filter, and understand the structure of your log so you can find answers faster and easier than ever before. Uh, log field analytics makes it easy to quickly spot unexpected values by adding a field to the log fields pane. You can view all values that appear in logs and then select any of the values to filter the logs by those values. Uh, and I said it was like pivot tables for logs. Ryan in the walkthrough earlier said it's more like SQL for logs. Both of those are app descriptions for it. So basically, you can say, "Look, at, you know, I want to have all these particular log type errors uh, in my dashboard, right? In the, in the thing, I can see how many of those happened really quickly. It's it's very nice uh, visual UI thing. Uh, at the end of the day, I, I poo pooed this when Amazon rolled this out on on CloudWatch logs. So like, oh, what logging, and you want to do searches? Like you're probably doing something wrong. But I will say, in the last several months, I have done nothing besides optimize queries and and really get in dirty and, and running analytics on logs. And it is super powerful tool uh, for for teams. And you can, you know, derive metrics from it or it's just, you know, trends. It's it's really important and it's cool. I'm glad to see this is being rolled out everywhere. I, I wouldn't be as glad if I was Elasticsearch or Splunk, but you know me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, yeah, okay. any of the any of the log tools. So this is their this is the differentiator in log aggregation. This is it, right? This is the front door to how can I use the, anybody can 
uh, acquire the logs, how do you make them useful? And how do you alert on them? How do you trend them? How do you do all those things that are very important? Yeah. Well, Google is announcing the general availability of data share for financial services. Hey, verticalization, win. A new Google Cloud solution that brings together the entire capital market ecosystem of data publishers and data consumers to exchange market data securely and easily. Uh, you can distribute and consume data in three ways, uh, through batch data delivery, real-time data streaming delivery, or monetizing licensed data sets. Uh, benefits for the data publishers are you no longer have to maintain delivery and licensing infrastructure. You can easily package and deliver granular data products and experiment with SQL and have a solution that scales with your business as data volumes and number of customers grow. And I assume it's something that it'll also plug into their marketplace at some point so they can sell it through the marketplace. <laughs> but that's not in this announcement. And then if you're a consumer of the data, uh, you have many benefits, including the data is ready for analyst, uh, analysis and ML, and you no longer have to do an ETL job to load files and transform the data. You can avoid the expense and burden of maintaining multiple copies of large data files and be targeted with consumption of data using BigQuery queries, improving performance and compliance overall, reducing your costs. So that's very nice. Uh, if there. And if you're in on financial services and you're like, man, that sounded really cool, they're also introducing the Analytics Hub, which is sort of the same thing, but for non-financial institutions, uh, which allows you to access and share valuable data sets and analytics assets like BigQuery ML models, Looker blocks, data quality recipes, et cetera, across any organizational boundary with Analytics Hub, a fully managed service built on BigQuery that allows you to efficiently and securely create data sharing ecosystems with governance. I think this officially establishes that you're your vertilization or verticalization point is clearly just all BS because it's the same product. They just announced it with a different press hey, release. I never, I never told you it wasn't BS. <laughs> yeah. I, I told you it was marketing. Yeah. And, like, and while there have been some very, very specific point solutions like that Azure thing with the bot, the, you know, the health bot, uh, there's been a couple others as well that have been very pointed. Like, you know, but they're like they're like single features versus full products for the <laughs> verticalization story. But yes, you're correct. Lots of times, though, this is you know, this is the this is the uh, in order to sell well to a vertical, you need to speak their language. Even if you're just selling the same solutions, you're selling to everybody else. Uh, this is the step in selling to verticals: speak their language. There's not really any talk of like DRM in here, but I would have thought that if you're going to share large data sets and try to monetize them, how how are you going to protect that asset and stop people from just copying it and saying, you know, shipping it off to anybody else? So. I'd interesting to see some kind of like data watermarking feature or some you know some kind of signing uh features where you could actually track who you issue these data the data to and where it goes it is interesting i hadn't thought of that you know other than in terms of like music and other media yeah i mean i, I can share stuff right now i got BitTorrent. Yeah. <laughs> that's I, mean, I think it's one of those things that once you get caught though it's a pretty big liability so oh, yeah. and these are not data sets that you know, a company's not going to share this data set. So if a person bought them, then maybe, yes, they'd make it available and sell it or, you know, free on BitTorrent or whatever. But, you know, yeah. enterprises then you go to jail. Kind of things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and a lot of the Straight. ones that people really care about from the public side are also publicly available, too. Like MIT's data sets right. and a lot of the Fred Hutch and stuff, that's all available, too. Already, already in BigQuery. So why do you need this? Well, you can, uh, or sorry, Google is announcing DataStream, a serverless change data capture and replication service available to you in preview. DataStream allows enterprises to synchronize data across heterogeneous databases, storage systems, and applications reliably with minimal latency to support real-time analytics, database replication, and event-based architectures. Uh, you can use this to send changes from an Oracle database to a MySQL database or into cloud services like BigQuery or Cloud Spanner, saving yourself time and resources and ensuring your data is accurate and up-to-date. Uh, and I have a quote here from Caleb Carr, principal technologist for 
from Schnuck Markets. Leveraging DataStream, we have been able to replicate data from our on-premises databases to BigQuery reliably and with little impact to our production workloads. This new method replaced our batch processing and allowed for insights to be leveraged from BigQuery quicker. Furthermore, implementing DataStream removed the need for our analytics group to reference on-premise databases to do their work and support our business users. Uh, so that's a pretty nice feature overall. It's funny, actually. I, I, I'm, I guess I just assumed not being a heavy Google user that this already existed because there's so many big data sets and data streams makes that a lot a lot easier. So this is great. But they definitely have a lot of managed ETL tools, right? And you know, I think this is the evolution of that. This is more like what I consider to be DMS, like from Amazon, yeah. right? Where it's you know database migration service. I'm taking the data, I'm converting it into a format, and I'm doing it real time and, and near that. And you know, to prove that fact even more, the next article is uh, you know, the release of the preview of logical replication decoding for Cloud SQL for Postgres, which is the, gives you logical replication decoding as an inherent part of Postgres SQL and its commonly used functions. And by releasing these with the change data capture of DataStream, uh, they strengthen their commitment to building an open source DB platform. And it helps you do all kinds of replication and things to help for data lakes and sensitive data and data warehousing and, and replication and all those things. So there's also another one I didn't mention in here, which was about how to get, move from Oracle to Postgres SQL using DataStream. And so there's a ton of use cases. <laughs> uh, a ton of blog posts out there that they released this week, all about data stream and how you can use it for lots of different use cases. Mm. I feel like it's kind of it's a it's a cloud partner uh, checkbox thing. It's like, does your cloud does your chosen cloud provider have X service database management service database migration service any anything? So it's like they have to they have to provide a wrapper around these tools that probably already existed, just so that when a customer, a potential customer is doing a comparison for their future workloads that they can say, yes, Google actually do have a solution to this out of the box because we don't want to have to build it ourselves. Yeah. And even if you, you know, even if you are already committed to one of these platforms like Google, uh, when you, you know, when you're deciding, oh, am I going to, am I going to leverage some proprietary database technology like BigQuery, uh, lowering whatever you can do to lower the friction of getting into that tool is going to increase the usage of that specific uh, service. So it's a no-brainer. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. Well, next up from Google is Dataflow Prime, uh, which I was sad is not related to Optimus Prime, uh, which is a new platform based on serverless, no ops, auto-tuning architecture that is easy to onboard, use, and operate. Uh, Dataflow Prime begins brings unparalleled resource utilization and radical operational simplicity to big data processing, and you can use this to build on Dataflow and brings new user benefits like innovations in resource utilization and distributed diagnostics. The new capabilities in Dataflow significantly reduce the time spent on infrasizing and tuning tasks, as well as diagnosing freshness problems. Uh, this has many benefits, including eliminate the time you spend sizing resource needs, optimize your resource 
resource usage and save costs and increase your productivity, which if I knew what any of this was, I would definitely have my productivity increased. <laughs> uh, other capabilities <laughs> further simplify the efforts in setting up your ML pipelines, including Job Visualizer, which allows users to see how their code is executed across dozens or hundreds of workers, a managed pipeline, which ensures your system is meeting the SLOs defined by your business, and the final one is a smart recommendation, which automatically detects problems in your pipelines and shows potential fixes. I have a quote here from Ramesh Babu, Senior Director of Engineering at Best Buy. Scaling effectively to handle continuously variable workloads in a fully automated way is very critical for us to meet service level objectives. The smart diagnostics and auto-tuning features and Dataflow Prime not only allows us to just do that, but also provides us with the ability to better observe the performance of the data pipelines themselves. Kind of like the Kinesis story in a way. I mean, it, once you know what's going on inside the pipeline, then you can measure the performance of individual components. You can start to scale different pieces up and down as as needed. That's true. It is very similar to the uh, to that Kinesis story, wasn't it? I didn't make that connection when I was writing the notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went the other way on this. It was like, you know, well, someone's finally asked the data science team to you know evaluate what they're doing for performance, value, and uptime, and here we are. <laughs> That's probably the more accurate answer. But. Why are you spending all this money? Where's where's your, where's your yeah. money? Which hole is your money going into right now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is that really optimized? Are you sure you're getting the best value out of that? No, mm-hmm. no, no, I'm sure. Yeah. All right, the final Google story this week in the data world: uh, introducing Dataplex, an intelligent data fabric that provides a way to centrally manage, monitor, and govern your data across data lakes, data warehouses, and data marts, and makes this data securely accessible to a variety of analytics and data science tools. Dataplex enables the freedom of choice to store data wherever you want for the right price performance and choose the best analytics tool for the job, including Google Cloud tools and open source analytics tools like Spark and Presto. Enforce consistent controls across your data to ensure unified security and governance, and built-in data intelligence using the best-in-class AI ML capabilities to automate much of the manual toil and around data management and get access to higher quality data. Uh, I have a quote here from Equifax. Kumar Menon is the SVP of Data Fabric and Decision Science Technology, which is a job title that I would need to have explained to me by someone who understands all those words. But Dataplex <laughs> will greatly simplify the existing analytics workflows within Equifax with its unified data fabric and single interface for policy management and governance across our, all our analytics data. Its built-in data discovery and data quality features will ensure that our data scientists and analysts always have access to high-quality data that they can trust. Dataplex aligns well with our enterprise data strategy, and we're excited to partner with Google Cloud on this. Uh, this is only available to you in preview for a select number of customers today. Uh, but for more information, you can check out the website and watch the videos, as well as if you are super interested in this, you can sign up via the online form, and hopefully we'll reach out to you and get you into the, da- the beta program. Note to self, I'm going to add Data Fabric Manager to my job title. I'm just going to put Fabric Manager in there. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever fabric, like cotton, silk? Yeah, like exactly. Nobody, no data. Obviously data. But I'm just going to leave you, that part You out. didn't say data. You just said fabric. You're just gonna I, know. Fabric. I know. I know. Exactly. Corduroy. Make people maybe, maybe a friend of the show. Maybe a friend of the show, Wayne, uh, can help us in the, in the Slack channel. Maybe he can describe what a data fabric decision science technology person is. Why, why, I think I know what that is. It's I, the, I have you a know, hunch, like, but I'd like someone yeah. to confirm it who works in the data space. Because Other than my random speculation. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, if I go to salary.com, I can't put data fabric and decision science technology in as a job title and get anything back. So <laughs> you cannot, you cannot do that. It's clearly, it's clearly something that no one else understands other than Equifax. And so I'd love to understand it. And so hopefully someone can explain it to me. All right. Well, moving up to Redmond and our friends at Azure. Uh, in a story that I convinced we explained already, but apparently the supercomputer has created an anomaly where we had not, uh, Azure has announced the general availability of their Azure NDA100 V4 cloud GPU instances powered by the A100 Tensor Core GPU. 
uh, benchmarking of 164 uh, A100 V4 VMs on a pre-release public supercomputing netted them a 16.59 petaflops of performance, and Vision 3 uh, as a single VM and eight NVIDIA Ampere-based A100 Tensor Core GPUs and scale up to thousands of GPUs in a single cluster with unprecedented one terabytes of one terabytes per second of interconnect bandwidth per VM via InfiniBand, which is one of those names I always forget about. Except on every third Tuesday of the month when it shuts down for Windows updates. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> this isn't landing around Jonathan, but that would one in my book. <laughs> uh, in the same theme, I can't. I can't but hear whenever I hear like teraflops as, as a metric, hear it in Doc Brown from Back to the Future in his voice. 1.21 gigawatts. Yes. <laughs> Every time. Every nice. time. All right. Uh, I don't have anything else to say about that. So if someone was wholly excited mm. about that A100 thing, I just I got nothing. Uh, so two years ago, Microsoft brought you the latest thriller in Azure Synapse Analytics. In November 29, they followed up with the sequel, Azure Synapse Link for Azure Cosmos DB. Uh, and now in 2021, they bring you the third in the trilogy, Azure Synapse Link for Dataverse. Uh, this Microsoft's uh, Dataverse is basically Microsoft's data store for all things Power Apps, Power Automated, and Power and Dynamics 365. And it's how they store their data in a Dataverse, a common store. Uh, you can then use the Power Apps, which are the no code solution, to access all of this great data using the Azure Synapse Link for Dataverse. All right. So two years ago, the naming bot AI came online and they gave it a dictionary and they went crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, lots of synapse, lots of synapses. I kind of like dataverse. I kind of wish I came up with that term. Yeah. <laughs> why, why did we come up with data lake? Why didn't we make a dataverse? That would be so much right? better. So much better. <laughs> you can only do so much. You only do so much. Well, you know, customers around the world take advantage of Microsoft Azure to build, deploy, and manage business-critical apps at scale, and they continuously innovate to help customers simplify their app deployment and manage experience so they can spend more time building great solutions. And to further help, Azure is announcing several new infrastructure capabilities to help you do that. Uh, the first up is a developers, depending on cloud infrastructure to run their apps, strive to simplify infrastructure setup experience so they can stay focused on innovation experiences with the Azure Resource Manager templates, which are powerful. However, they can be complicated, which means you have to understand understand how your application runs on hardware. <laughs> so Azure gives you BICEP, an open source domain-specific language, which further simplifies developers' declarative deployment experiences. BICEP allows customers to deploy Azure resources with many of the conveniences of modern programming languages, now indispensable to any app developer workflow. With BICEP 0.4 release in June, you will get BICEP Linter, integration with resourcing snippets, and find the, quick, find the snippets quickly as they move through the ARM template quick start. Uh, as well as they now also announce Azure Elasticsearch and the new Azure Monitor Agent and Data Collection rules, uh, which are less important. I really talk about biceps. What do you think about biceps? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I wish this podcast was on video so you could all see me flexing right now. Yes. Nice. Yeah, that's going to be a it's going to be a tough one to <laughs> swallow. <laughs> I mean, like, how about how about a way to like and you know just make the the tech bros happy? I'm going to use bicep to make my emphasis. Bicep. Bicep. Why not tricep? I mean, it's better. Name. I mean, I, I I just can't decide which is worse, CDK or bicep. Like they're both gastrocnemius. I mean, I'm still trying to get my head around this whole trend in in modern you know infrastructure deployment, and I'm just I don't know. It makes me start feeling my age. You know, I want things to be declaratively defined where I can compare two states. No, that just makes you smart. That just makes you smart. <laughs> I mean, I get it. If you're if you're in a rapid development, you know, environment, you just need to get stuff to run stuff temporarily. But it's it's I, I find it a you know very hard to think about how to do these things in production in a way that I can check changes across time. And, yeah, I mean, to me, the whole point of infrastructure as code is 
effectively writing configuration files, not writing clever code that creates infrastructure in a way I could never imagine by just reading the code. I just want to see what it's going to spin up and then then it spins it up, even if mm-hmm. it's verbose. Well, that's it. I, that's all the new news I got for you guys. Take wow. it to lightning round. What about Oracle? Nothing for Oracle this week. Nothing. Okay. Nothing. Right. Nothing could impress like us like the ARM announcement last week did. Which I don't know if Ryan's caught up on last week's episode. If you missed, but uh, Oracle Oracle rocked it last week with a fantastic ARM announcement. We were super excited I missed, about. I missed an Oracle announcement. You did. It was a good one. And I'm not being sarcastic or facetious about it. Yeah. It was actually a good oh, announcement. Legitimately, like <laughs> a right. real announcement. What? Yeah. Something we actually liked, and we were like, we're going to use this. Yeah. To help charities. Oh. It's actually, oh, yeah, I am going to like this one. Awesome. Yeah, because yes. the free tier focus. for this new ARM processor is, is quite good. And so if you took that and then applied it to some charities thing and gave them compute power for free from Oracle using the ARM processor, you get them some benefit. That's super cool. Good for yeah. them. I mean, that's not what you're supposed to do, but <laughs> that's what Dang. I'm going to do with the code. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what else am I going to do with an ARM processor on Oracle? Move the CloudPod website there? No, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Come it'll on, move to, it'll move to Google before it moves to Throw a Docker bone. It's just, it's yeah, it's just a Docker container. It'd be easy. It is a Docker container. Actually, yeah. several Docker containers, but yeah, it's just a different, just a different one. I'm gonna, <laughs> you know, I, I put, I should run Anthos, and maybe I can get a quote, a, a you know, maybe they can give me ten thousand dollars a month in credit so I can use Anthos to manage my. I think you just my, used up the free tier by mentioning the name Anthos. I probably so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Peter, take us lightning round. Lightning round. Uh, Amazon QLDB supports IAM-based access policies for party QL queries and ledger tables. I mean, Amazon just wanted a QLDB story so we would make fun of Azure for killing their product again. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's always a party in my query language. Oh, right. In your, in your Git commits, it is for sure a party. <laughs> is Ryan pleased to see you? No, that's just a party in his query language. <laughs> 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 oh goodness announcing amazon cloudwatch resource health i mean isn't that what cloudwatch does is tell you how resources are healthy or not who, who watches the watcher yeah it's actually kind I'm of a cool sure. feature i almost had this in the is show but, look. so you know the, you know the problem like when you have like you know a cluster of 10 servers and you're like i want to see the cpu compare all of them the only way to do it is to go to a dashboard and then you basically have to like you know, map all this. So now it gives you basically a table view where you can actually put all those resources next to each other. So you can see a list of like, oh, here's all the 10 servers. Here's all the CPU. Here's all the memory. It's actually kind of nice. Oh, that's very And cool. you can do it by yeah. tagged, right? Yeah, you can do it by tag too. To me, that was the big one. Right. Yeah. It's automatic. It's almost like the next yeah. step is going to be to take that data and put it into a machine learning model to to watch what the patterns of all these different things uh, and how they, how they lead to your uh, service health. And then mm. we're all fired. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Someone has to be voiced. Uh. <laughs> Amazon SageMaker Autopilot adds automatic cross validation to improve model quality on smaller data sets by up to 35%. But it's already grinding my Sage to a small enough level. I don't need it smaller. Sage Grind, that'd be an awesome name. <laughs> Edit that out. We should yeah. use that. Uh, <laughs> Sage Grinder. <laughs> AWS Launch Wizard adds support for SQL Server always-on failover cluster instances deployed on Amazon FSx for Windows File Server. And now I understand why the DBA account went up 3,000% this month. 
because the biggest abuser of PyOps, they'll also be the biggest abuser of FSX <laughs> and all the costs related to this. Or wizards. <laughs> you, yeah, yeah, I understand why they need a wizard for this. I, I yeah. couldn't do that. So you're saying you're waiting for the always off failover instances to save money. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, yes. Always um, off. Awesome. That'd be great. You just turn it on, it just yeah. turns off. Yeah. <laughs> Introducing AWS App Runner integration in the AWS toolkit for JetBrains IDEs. Which makes me think that Amazon's IDE of preference is JetBrains, because why would that be the first one you chose over Visual Studio Code or any of the other IDEs you could have chosen? Then they already have the VS Code integration. I thought they already built that. For App Runner? Mm, maybe. Maybe it is. Ha. I don't know. That's why. I may be wrong. Look at I mean, the JetBrains. That's, what, that's the power of Google's for App Runner. VS Code. Let's see. Uh, I mean, my my five seconds of half ass internet research has no nothing came up in the first Next twenty up. results. Next. Uh, speaking of Visual Studio Code, AWS Glue Data Brew adds new Nest and Unnest transformations. Well, I'm not sure where the Visual Studio part comes into that. <laughs> I am more concerned about the unnesting part with the glue. I mean, like that's a lot of breaking of twigs. There's a lot of a lot to do to break a nest that's been glued together. Yes. I just assume you were stacking the nests. One after the other with glue. With glue. That's yeah, what that I sense. had. That's, yeah, sure. If you have no data, is it empty nest? <laughs> oh, yes. That would be <laughs> nice. good. What if that's a technical term? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> AWS Security Hub now supports bi directional integration with Atlassian Jira service management. Which means that you really can wait. have good arguments between your SOC team and you as you <laughs> argue with them in Jira tickets and their SOC team just sits inside of Security Hub arguing back with you. No, it's still red. I'm like, no, no, but you don't understand why it's red because it's supposed to be red. It's part of the design, blah, blah. It's red. Like, it's just, it's a fun Jira thing. It's just red. I cannot time. wait to, yeah, this is, that's exactly what I see. It's just like, closed, not an issue. Yes, it's still an issue. Closed, not an issue. Did you verify the issue? Closed. Reopen. Yeah. Just, just yeah. Reopen. Reopen. It's like my favorite cartoon wait. scene. It's like duck season, rabbit season, duck season, rabbit season. <laughs> rabbit season. <laughs> Five. This bucket's on to the internet. Why is this S3 yeah. bucket publicly accessible? Because it's the images for our website. Public buckets yeah. are not allowed, but it's yeah. it's static assets for <laughs> our website. website. Public buckets aren't yeah. allowed. Like, yeah. But it's it, it's supposed to be. But, it's in the design of this app. No, no, no. It says it's red yeah. in Security Hub, damn it. Yeah. yeah. Instead, why don't you spin up a Linux box on a end-of-life version of Linux that you can't patch and uh, run a web server and put it there because that mm -hmm. will be much more secure. They're like, okay. I mean, Security Hub, won't detect, Security Hub won't detect that, though, so that's good. Actually, that's you're on to something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's green. It's all green, baby. Yeah. Unless they're running the Inspector, they'll Cloud never that know. That does not recommend any users try this actual behavior. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's for educational purposes only. Oh, wait, hang on, it's not. <laughs> De-educational. Yeah. yeah, security hub was like, okay, okay, we'll let you whitelist this this thing this one time. And so you're on deploy and redeploy. All the IDs change. And then they're like, nope. <laughs> Amazon API Gateway now supports synchronous invocations of express workflows using REST APIs. From the redundancy, redundancy department. <laughs> we give you the same uh, thing. You're using an API for a REST API. Oh, really? That's yeah. so weird. Really? I didn't know. Strange. Synchronous invocation sounds like the entry for the Japanese Olympics. <laughs> what? <laughs> like synchronous like like swimming. <laughs> yeah. Wow. We're a little, the, the Olympics are still a little too far away for for that reference. And we, we, get, we hold that one back for maybe another month or so. If if the Tokyo happens, then we can we can use that one. Uh, apparently, apparently, I think it's going to happen whether whether the rest of the world wants it to or not. Well, yeah, like whether the Japanese people want it to happen or not. Yeah, mm -hmm. like all the volunteers for the Olympics have, have already said we're not showing up. So it's going to be it's going to be a bit of a uh, 
interesting yeah. event. Amazon CloudWatch adds control plane API usage metrics across AWS services. Can't believe this wasn't in the main show. Seriously, I don't even have a joke for this. It's just awesome. I mean, like, what would I, what, would, what would we talk about in the show? Like, um, so the thing we've all wanted since the day Amazon was burst into the world to know when you're going to hit quota limits <laughs> and be able to monitor yeah, for, them yeah. proactively. Yeah, is now available. You can have anything you want, as much as you want. All you have to do is paper drip, except for asking us for things. In that, we're not going to let you buy more than you than a certain amount. The issue is always like, okay, fine, I get it. You only give me 100 of these per second or whatever the dumb number is. Uh, but then you don't give me any way to monitor for this. So the only way I find out that's broken is because I get a weird response back to my, SL, you know, my SDK or to my API or to whatever I'm using. Uh, or I call support and support says, oh, well, you've used up this unpublished uh, you know, API limit that you didn't know about. Yeah, so I mean, like, we've all been asking for this for since the birth of S3, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and so I'm glad to see it finally, but man, that took a long time. Finally. I still just been... want them to charge me for the API calls and let me have them. It's because like it's so know, ridiculous it... that you set up all these, like, okay, now I'm going to use, now I'm just going to spread my stuff over 100 accounts and I have 100 times as many uh, calls available to me. Like, it doesn't solve anything. It's, it gives you more complexity. <laughs> you it, complexity it hurts now. me. And yeah, and the fact that I have to create a more complex environment to avoid this quota. But on the Amazon side, they still have to field all those API calls. Like it, mm -hmm. it, it solves nothing. They need to charge for API calls and let you have as many as you want. But if they, they just let you pay for them, then that's yeah, a capacity issue. You, you can't. They, they know how many accounts are deployed, how many regions so are is, used. So is so is EC two. So is EC two. So should they just say? EC2, you can you can only have 100 EC2 instances per account, period, hard limit. That doesn't make any sense. I will fight this one to the death. <laughs> this is why we should have pulled it out of the lightning round and moved it to like a dedicated yes. TCP Talks episode where, where Peter's yes. the host. We just argue and share war stories yes. for 45 minutes. Well, that's why, why is the console? Why is the console giving me errors? What is going on? Oh no, our friggin' EBS backups aren't happening for the last six hours. And then <laughs> I guess, yeah, you know who caused all that issue? Of course, security with their tools yeah, run yeah. nothing but API calls. Yeah, totally. Okay, sorry, back on track. Cloud Bigtable lifts the SLA up to five nines and adds new security features for regulated industries. And another thing, all those <laughs> all API calls. <laughs> sorry, I couldn't even pull it up. Straight <laughs> I mean, I, I was, you know, I'm like, okay, 99.99% uptime. Yeah, that's great. I'm super happy about it. But then security features for regulated industries? Come on. I'm like, why? That's just going to bring that. That's always, that's why they can get that SLA because now the regulated industries are like, yeah, you can't use that data. So it's now more available because we have this capacity because you can't use it. It's only two users. Technically, now. it's available. You're just not allowed to get to it. But trust us, it's, it's still up. Uh, Cloud Spanner trims the entry cost by 90%. And offers sharper observability and easier querying. I mean, a database that I can query easily? <laughs> it's not weird. But I'm, <laughs> I'm actually more bothered by that they're, they're, they're wording for observability, sharper observability. Like, So we give you better mm -hmm. metrics and monitoring, and we're going to call that sharper. <laughs> more okay. pointy metrics. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, pointy. I like pointy metrics. Be careful of that table. Yeah, have your eye out on that thing. <laughs> But if, but even so, like I wouldn't call ninety percent trimmed. I'd call that like slashed or like decimated yeah. or something. Yeah. That's not yeah. that's not being trimmed. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Slash. Like, what the, the hell? Just one. a trim. What's the margin on that <laughs> service? Yeah. Crazy Google is slashing prices. Well, I mean, if you saw the original pricing on that thing, you would know it was pretty high. Mm -hmm. No, I know. <laughs> I still think that's made the me strategy. think that 
Yeah, I think that was their fall on the Amazon strategy of yeah. pricing it super high so that limit the usage. Yep. So, so they're get, giving you actually, the they're, they're not actually lowering your price. They're giving you a more granular instance size per the article. So they're giving you a box that's actually smaller for one tenth the cost of what the original entry point was. That's how they. So it's not really a cost cut as much as it is a better, cheaper option for you to reduce your cost. The exit cost is, is even the, higher. <laughs> yeah. Really. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. End of lightning round. That was excellent. All, all, all three of you were on your game. Unfortunately, because I have a ridiculously uh, adolescent sense of humor, uh, the party QL wins it, and Ryan gets the point. Nice. <laughs> yes. I was hoping my little shoulder dance did did some work on that too. <laughs> so I'm doing it. Again. I didn't see that on, on yes. the podcast world. <laughs> Well, that was a great one. I, I, I did enjoy yeah. it, and you know, the real-time scoring you were doing as you went was helpful, too. Yeah. Put, put some more pressure I, I was con- I was convinced I lost it was like, with the uh, score. I was, yeah, if it was well, negative one. Well, you were actually yeah. behind. Jonathan's like, I got this nail. <laughs> My name is on way more of these things. But no, that, there's no logic. There's no logic or reason associated yeah. with the I mean, the he had the disadvantage that he missed two episodes, so you know, we, were, yeah. we were already crouching up. Anyways, well, there are some things coming up. Once again, uh, the Digital Manufacturer Summit on June 22nd is still available to you on the Google Cloud side. Uh, Reinforce, we talked about last week, is now available for you in Houston in August because Amazon does believe in the cheapest location and cheapest time of the year to travel to a location for their conferences. So if you'd like to go to Reinforce, uh, that is available to you August 24th, 25th. Uh, our Cloud Pod hosts have pretty much all said we're not going. Mm-hmm. So you won't see us there. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're hoping it's going to be a much better event than last time. We will do predictions for it, even though we failed miserably last time. Uh, We'll see if we can do anything about that, just make something fun of it. So we will plan to do predictions for Reinforce, but uh, we will not be there. But we will be at reInvent, which is going to be in person, and registration is going to be opening sometime in June. So there you go, guys. Exciting. Are we all going to go? Do we need need some kind of like cloud pod continuity uh, plan that that says we can't all uh, all be in the same place at the same time? No, I think we have the opposite, which is like we make sure that we're all on the same plane. So if it goes down, like it's a blaze of glory. Yeah, the cloud pod is just done. Like we're we're done. We're tapping out. Uh, but so we will figure out something maybe to do. Maybe we can maybe we can get our, our favorite sponsor, Foghorn, to do an event and then <laughs> we'll tag I'm along. In. We'll tag along. I'm in. I'm in. Uh, and I'm then in. You guys can, and then we can you know you introduce you to the amazing Foghorn team, which we love and care for dearly, which is why they've been a sponsor since day one here at the Cloud Pod. Uh, we think they are the best uh, option for your consulting needs, and we can tell you why in person uh, for all those great things. Other than Peter is awesome, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Not bad. Oh, light, oh, sorry. Lightning round's over. Okay. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Quit sucking up now. Yeah. The best. He's working on next week. The best joke goes to Jesse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're never winning another point again, John. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just following up. I'm closing Justin's joke. He totally set that off. You missed it completely. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Uh, well, and then the reInvent will be November 29th through December 3rd again because they like the cheapest week after Thanksgiving ever, which is always a great fun to say, you know, bail out on your family on Sunday and say, I'm out to reInvent. So it will be there. Uh, and hopefully we all be there and enjoying ourselves with the lovely team of Amazon folks as well as our team here at the CloudPod. So we look forward to that in November. Something to look forward to after this long, long death of uh, COVID. <laughs> so Yes. That's it for this week in the cloud. See you next week. See you. And that is the week in cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, 
Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel, go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions. Now we get our pods. Refresh. No, it, Jonathan asked for a timestamp, probably to to edit whatever the last thing I said. That no, it just seemed like a good time to put the foghorn ad in. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Occasionally, Peter says something that's kind of insightful and <laughs> inspires confidence. Ah, inspires it's like, confidence. It's like this is. Uh, uh, we, we've been refunding Foghorn their money for the last six weeks because he hasn't said anything insightful, so we haven't put the ad in. <laughs> There's no refunds on the ads. Sorry, Peter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>